Welcome to another episode of Visitings, where we talk to artists who are engaged with the public outside the traditional exhibition space. Why are they drawn to their community and what's the stuff that inspires them? My name is Alan Nakagawa and I'll be your host. Haruko Tanaka is a multifaceted visual artist and is one half of the art group Crystal Crunch. Their website is crystalcrunch.com. Haruko Tanaka's solo work can be viewed at kissoftheworld.net. We started by talking about her upbringing in England and Japan, and her mother, who is a radio and television reporter for Japan's NHK. So your mom used to do this? Yeah. What, what, tell me about that. My mother used to be... What's a, her name? Uh, Kyoko Tanaka. And she used to be a shortwave radio DJ for NHK. And so she would do programs about Japan in English for people outside of Japan. And so, and my dad was living in Indonesia at the time. Uh-huh. And so, and she'd stayed in Japan to help me finish school. So... Um, but my my dad would tune in because he could hear it in Indonesia, so he'd hear her show. Wow. Yeah. I never listened to <laughs> What was her show about? Uh, Japan, but I think sometimes she would ask me for, like, oh, what do you recommend, like, music-wise, you know, what's hot on the charts? or And I was always listening to something just slightly off, like they were mostly animation-based mm-hmm. stuff, So, mm-hmm. but she'd play it, so... Yeah. <laughs> this was for NHK. NHK, yeah. She worked for them for... Uh, she still does, actually, but yeah. She was... Um, her main thing was she taught uh, NHK journalists um, English, like j- English journalism, how to oh. be out in the field and report in English. Wow. Yeah. And why was she so proficient in English? I know, well, she grew up in um, England, in Wimbledon. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, she was there from like four to eighteen. So, so she spoke the Queen's English. She speaks the Queen's English. <laughs> I used it too, but oh, yeah. and then you were Americanized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Americanized myself. Wow. Mm-hmm. The English would probably uh, uh, say that's uh, vaporized the <laughs> English. <laughs> My mom was very upset. Like at one point, I had this very in-between accent as I was transitioning, so I sounded like Madonna did a few years ago, where it was kind of American but slightly British, and uh. then I fully transitioned. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow! So you had a Madonna phase. I did, yeah. yeah. But you know, I um, sorry, this is so off-topic, but I just found out, you know, Gillian Anderson, the actress from mm-hmm. the X Files. She grew up in England, and so she's known as, I, there's a term for it, she's bi-dialectical. So she speaks whatever, she switches from accents, and not just for acting jobs, but in real life. So when she's wow. in England, she speaks with a full-on British accent, ah. and does all her interviews in a British accent. And then when she's here, or doing things US-related, she has an American accent. Code switching. Yeah, so I was like, oh, why didn't I just do what she does? But I don't know. Yeah. So I wonder, like, oh, who did I who did I lose by letting go of my British accent, you know? Oh, what do you mean by lose? Who? Like, who personality-wise, like, I wonder uh-huh. if, you know, I think accents can kind of inform 
personalities as well. So I was wondering, like, oh, I wonder if I if I brought it back, people right. might get weirded out. But I wonder, huh? <laughs> and who I gain from speaking it with an American accent? Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. But my my nieces, but. It's kind of a thing for me, but now, like, younger people, like my nieces and nephew, they're seven, five, and three years old, and they're being raised. My brother has a British accent. They're being, and his wife is British, too, so they grew up speaking with a British uh, accent. But then I spoke with them recently, and I noticed the kids had American accents, and I was like, why are they speaking with American accents? It's, oh, it's YouTube. Everything they watch... Is just, you know, it's Moana, it's, you know, stuff on YouTube, and they've switched to a, an American accent. Wow. Just from culture. My know. goodness. Yeah, so I was like, oh. Globalization. Yeah. Through YouTube. <laughs> through YouTube. Wow. Maybe that's what YouTube actually is. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. A sort of The NAFTA flattening. of technology. Yeah. Or the NAFTA of culture. Huh. Yikes. father my dad was a um he's retired uh but he was in um foreign exchange his whole life yeah and his and was an economist ah yeah wow that's a traditional job there yeah it's very respectable i think he really wanted to be an i always get the two mixed up astronomer not astrologer astronomer yeah he was very much into stars. But then at the time when he was in uh, going to college, uh, he his family, after the war, the Second World War, my grandfather was in the Japanese Army, Navy, so, and um, was court-martialed, but was, and then forbidden to work for a bunch of years. And so then the family just went into, dropped into, poverty being you know and so then it was very important that he get a proper job so right wow yeah that sounds like there's a an amazing story there yeah did you meet him no my grandfather died when my dad was like maybe 19 18 19 wow yeah so he's seen amazing hardship yeah wow yeah and so yeah i think he wasn't allowed to work, and then I think finally, um, and then Japan formed its Jietai, the um, self-defense army, which he was allowed to join as like an instructor, maybe. Oh, okay. And then I, he died right when he was, I think he had been appointed ambassador to the U.S., and then he died. Yeah. I know. Your grandfather was the ambassador Going to the to U.S.? Be, yeah, Going to be, yeah. But he died, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> All kinds of stories. He was friends with Chiang Kai-shek. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The experience that comes to mind, and I don't know if this is correctly understanding your reference to beginner's mind, but Mm. just 
the experience that popped up was um, how I think that's I love group activities like that's sort of a lot of um, and what ends up happening in you know Chris the artwork that I do is it involves kind of group activities but the some of the most beautiful moments for me is watching when people are listening to another person but like sincerely listening so um and I don't know if that's beginner's mind but it's it's kind of amazing to watch a group of people assigned a certain task and then um like we have this workshop called um mini lives mini masks I think and it's uh people do past life regression we do past life regressions on people where you visit um a moment of death in a past life that you've imagined or you feel and then um you have to think about we ask you to mine uh what it was that how you died where you died what you were thinking while you died and if there's any kind of mantra that was going through your head as that happened and then what everybody we get people into groups and they all recreate that moment as like a tableau like a theater tableau Mm. and um hold this moment by holding meaning they enact this moment for like a few minutes and it's not done for any audience or whatever they just do it themselves Mm. so basically let's say i figured out well i died in a factory um, or let's say, no, a lot of people, I died in a room surrounded by family and, um, I was dying of a certain disease, but the thought that was going through my head was, uh, I did okay, let's say. And so then you repeat this as a mantra, but you ask the people in your group, you assign a part of that tableau to each person in that group and they enact it, mm. you enact it together. And so we were watching every time, like, it's so amazing to watch complete strangers give 120% of their attention to this person who's, like, describing this scenario. And it's almost like someone describing a dream. So, um, and, you know, dreams often don't make sense. But um, for someone to pay that much attention and take you so seriously as you're talking about something so abstract, in a way, just seems like... um, uh, not to get all mushy, but it seems like love, you know? I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is what love looks like, is between strangers, is mm-hmm. being completely present and taking that person at their word, you know? But I think that's what I just love about group activities. Like, I had this, we did this one project where we got a group of people together and we were trying to learn um, this thing called shudan kodo, which is group, shudan, group, kodo, to act, to move. And it's the art of Japanese synchronized walking. And um, there's this uh, Japanese, I think it's Nittaidai, so Nihon Taiku Daigaku, so Japan Sports University. It's like the top sports university in Japan, but they finesse this art of synchronized walking over the last like 50 years and do this amazing it's incredible 
Like, oh, I think I've seen that on YouTube. Yeah, how yeah. they do all this synchronized walking, but like walking, you know, backwards and in a crisscross without bumping into each other and right. doing all these amazing things. So we try to do that at the uh, at the armory like oh. a couple of years ago. And so um, got a group together and it was so great because I think that's what I love about group activities. Like when people just make a genuine effort we're all just trying to figure this out, you know, this unknown thing. Right. And so everyone was contributing, like, well, what if we, you know, did it this way? Or, like, that call doesn't make sense to uh, when, you know, because there's all these calls that happen where you tell people to turn at the same time and whatnot. And so we were just really figuring it out. Mm. It felt like, oh, this is what it must have been like for people in other countries in the 70s and 80s, like, hearing about hip-hop. You know, like maybe watching these videos, you know, going, oh, my God, how are they doing this dance? Well, let's just try it. You know, it was really like that. Like, there's no instruction manual on how to do this Japanese synchronized walking. So I just looked at a video and was like, I, I think this is how it's broken down, you know, and then we just all gave it a shot. But wow. How did it go? It went great. Oh. There's a video. <laughs> <laughs> Your work, um, and you've you've said this, uh, is is group oriented, and yet you also uh, you thrive also on this one on one thing, mm -hmm. right? Your work, your visual work, is obviously solo. Um, so, if I could equate that to a, a car, so it's you're, you have like three gears. <laughs> In a sense, right? They all have meaning, and you're comfortable in in all of these. Is I'm not sure if all artists have three gears. It, how did how did that happen? I think the group stuff, specifically, maybe I guess for lack of a better term, but I guess because we all use it, the social practice stuff. I think came out of necessity in terms of after grad school I didn't I had come out making films and photos and whatnot but I didn't have the money to like suddenly I had no access to equipment and whatnot so then I started doing these kind of things that didn't involve I could still keep making work but not uh have to spend so much money so that became a reality like I didn't have the money to frame photos and I mean these days it seems like no one's really you know it's not an issue you don't have to frame your photo but like right. um back then it was like well it was it came out of necessity and then but then I started it and go oh my god this makes so much sense like I think it's just now that I am talking about it you know I, I grew up playing a lot of group sports and I think maybe I miss that mm. you know there's miss that like you know because that is completely nonverbal communication most of the time in sports right which sports did you play I played volleyball basketball um those are my main the volleyball was huge yeah yeah so much fun
other facet that I'd love to talk about your work, and, and you've talked about it briefly, is uh, the concept of psychic. So I think from just reading what you guys do, we instant, we, I, instantly uh, see you guys as psychic. And, and part of that uh, differentiation uh, or t part of that title assumes that I'm not psychic. In other words, you know, we're putting you on a pedestal and saying, oh, those guys have extraordinary <laughs> superhero powers. And that's what Crystal Crunch is about. And um, can, you, can you talk about that? Psychic, psychic is for the bio, and then intuitive is really what happens. But um, no, you're totally right. I think uh, psychic, we deliberately use that as a, we understand that it's a very colorful term, and that um, there's a sense of entertainment, there's a sense of um, otherworldliness to it. Um, and so we use that outwardly in terms of just in describing ourselves because it's the fastest thing that'll get through. But when you actually, when we're actually talking, when we're in the workshops, we don't talk about it as psychic abilities. We call it intuition. So there's a def definitely there's a differentiation. Mm -hmm. But we just use psychic just for, you know, um, quickly communicating. Um, but we, yeah, our contention is that everybody has intuition, so, which I'm sure most people would agree with. are doing is you're trying to retrain us into trusting that part that's actually natural Nat we're gift naturally gifted to do that um, and especially as artists too like it hasn't always been artists who come to the workshops but it has been in mostly art contexts mm -hmm. but as artists we're so quick to just talk down our own ideas and um, get away from sort of that original um, spark or inspiration because we think it's not clever enough it's not um, maybe it's not yeah I think clever enough is a huge part it's not um, creative enough it's not marketable or whatever but I think mm -hmm. a lot of artists talk, their so talk themselves down um, but I think this process that we try to teach in terms of engaging your intuition, it's like things go a lot more quickly. They go a lot faster. Like, mm. um, and so I don't know if I take my own advice, but I definitely, um, I know Asher does in his playwriting, but it's, um, I think we're advocating for people to make work that's closer to their intuition than what they think they should be making.
Oh, right. I think the biggest takeaway is people leave completely exhilarated the fact that this complete stranger has just seen them completely mm. in this, like, wow, this person just ex ex described the lake that used to show up the lake that I spent my childhood in or the one that used to show up in my dreams or this person mentioned all these colors that I always dream about or and then you in turn have also just done that for someone so like that's the biggest thing I think people leave the workshop is nothing to do with oh my god you know like in our case like not what we said but the fact that they suddenly engage this is I think that's the biggest thing right. that people take away from um, and it's so great because then it is, it is, you know, it's, um, very action based. So you gotta, you know, if you come to a workshop, you're not just listening, like you gotta, you do it by the end. So right. I think, um, yeah, maybe that's why no one's written to us and said, but <laughs> you changed our lives. But of course you guys, <laughs> had, you know, created that situation for that to happen. It was yeah. your... You afforded them that opportunity. <laughs> so the other word that comes to mind is healing, mm -hmm. which is kind of a hippie word, yeah. healing, you know, like new agey. But that is, in fact, to some degree, what happens when they have that breakthrough is is uh what are the intentions of that happening oh um i think we go in with no intention because i we're always like during every workshop we're always just shaking our heads like my god this is so amazing like that this is happening so you know um uh Maybe that would be different if someone was just like, I didn't get anything from this workshop. I don't know what you guys were talking about. Um, but that hasn't happened, so maybe, um, yeah. That ha That's never happened in 10 years? At least not to our faces, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well. And mostly, you know, a lot of people, it's interesting, the people that resist the most end up being the most intuitive and just kind of are scared of, you know. Interesting. Accessing that. Why do you think that is? It could be many reasons. Like growing up, they were told to shut it down or, you know, um, or they're just a little scared. Like maybe they have the kind of intuition that they can sense certain things are going to happen and they do and they don't want to seem, um, they don't want to scare people maybe. Or I think it's many different reasons, but. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What you guys do is this really personal, one-on-one, -on -one human interaction, almost animal interaction. And I'm wondering, uh, do your audience, your audience, your participants, do they ever bring that up, that hunger? No, they don't bring it up, but I think that's why they show up. Yeah. Um, and we, I guess maybe, yeah, 
most of the time it's just logistics. Like we don't have that much time for discussion of sort of, we just go right in. So the discussions that we do have are specifically about what's going on in the workshop. But it is clear that, you know, there is a hunger for true communication Mm. and genuine communication, deeper communication. So I think that's why people leave so elated and connected um, with people that, you know, because at the end of the workshop, it's like, oh, wait, and what's your name? You know, like, it's like (laughs) we've turned that process upside down or flipped it around. Um, But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, the word, it's so great because it's so direct. I think because I was just thinking about oh, in my visual work, I think I'm not necessarily. I think I'm not trying to inspire, but just be a visual aid for conversation. So um, I make these photographs that are like how tos, how to how to fold a plastic bag into a neat triangle how to count on your hand, how to count to 15 using the five fingers on one hand, hmm. which is what Tibetans do. Or, and so these, you look at these photographs, and if you look, it's like an Ikea instruction thing. You're like, oh, that's how you do it. Or, you know. Um, and uh, it comes from, like, these are things I've, I've gotten from, like, traveling or being in places where someone's like oh did you know this is how we do it or whatever and sure enough like when I showed these photographs of different things people were like oh yeah I remember that or someone was telling me oh did you know that you can count the nine times table using just your hands have you heard of that one no so let's say you have so put your hands in front of you like uh, back of your hands facing you and then um, your left hand, bring your pinky down. So that gives you, so one times nine is nine. Okay. So now bring the pinky up and then um, bring your second finger next to the pinky down. Okay. So two times nine is, and if you look at your hands, you realize you have one and eight. Oh. That's 18. Wow. So bring that finger up, bring the middle finger down. Nine times three, if you look, you have two and seven. It's 27. And you can go all the way through. And I remember someone telling me, like, as they were wow. looking at the other photographs, That's they great. were like, oh, did you know? And two people, two different people told me that same thing at the same opening. Is there a relationship between that and the abacus? Oh. I don't know. Maybe it's an abacus inspired. Hmm. What if we had ten hands? Oh, let's build something. Oh, Oh, let's call it the abacus. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. I made a film about an abacus. Oh. Yeah. Did you, is it online? It is. Oh. I'll, I'll send you the link. link. Yeah, send us the link. <laughs> what, 
what's your website? Kissoftheworld.net, but it's being revamped right now. So it's what's there is kind of old, but oh, yeah. okay. That concludes another episode of Visitings. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks to Haruko Tanaka for coming on the show. Thanks to Echo Park Film Center for this opportunity and the good folks at Machine Projects and DubLab for letting me share this on 99.1 FM. I'm Alan Nakagawa sitting in my living room in Koreatown saying thank you for listening to Visitings. I also wanted to say thank you to Susan Joseph for letting us use her sound piece, Braid. (laughs) 